0: And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person father we come to you today and ask that you would open our eyes and open our minds and open open our hearts uh, that we might see and hear uh, that we might uh, be changed that you might work on our hearts uh, that we would know you and believe in you and trust in you and live for you and we pray this in Jesus name amen heart disease is the leading cause of death worldwide Uh, For men and women, for all races in the United States, there are roughly 30 million people who have been diagnosed with heart disease. How about you? Today we're going to look at spiritual heart disease. Jesus diagnoses our spiritual heart condition. And what we find out is that every human being has spiritual heart disease. Everyone but Jesus himself. Now, in last week's sermon, uh, as today, we find that Jesus, and these two passages are very closely related, doesn't speak of, doesn't use the analogy of disease or speak of disease, but he speaks of uncleanness. He speaks of defilement. And uh, he does so again today. There's a contrast between being clean uh, and being defiled. And we see that in verse Two, uh, Mark 7, 2, and they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is unwashed. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? Now, this term translated defiled uh, in our English translation, it's interchangeably translated defiled or unclean in the New Testament. So what is it to be clean? Or Unclean. Last week we found out that the Pharisees uh, believed that if you ate with unwashed, if you ate with unclean, with defiled hands, uh, that the food that you touched would then in turn be unclean. And as you ate that unclean food, uh, you would be further defiled and further unclean. They weren't concerned about hygiene. They weren't germaphobes. This was a ceremonial Spiritual uh, cleanliness that they were concerned with. It was a a cleanliness by virtue of uh, ceremony, and Jesus teaches that this is false. That uh, that dealing with things on the outside, from the outside, uh, isn't the issue. Uh, what makes you clean before God? has to do with the inside, what comes from the inside out in terms of your heart. It's a much deeper problem. It would be quite nice if we could deal with our problems, our offenses uh, for, with God and with others by some kind of external washing, right? We could just wash the offending part of our body. It used to be uh, in days of yore before I grew up, maybe some of you older folks experienced it. Uh, When uh, you were growing up and you said something, some profanity, uh, your mom might wash your mouth out with soap, right? And uh, that would make all your profanity go away because she would clean the offending part. Uh, Well, that wasn't really what was going on. It was so unpleasant that you would hopefully never do it again. That was the idea. Uh, Suppose two men are uh, brawling in public and uh, they're hauled off to the court and they're Uh, They're there, the judge sees them and says, Okay, you've been uh, having a fist fight in public, and so uh, we have here in our courtroom a special sink uh, just for this purpose. And so if you'll go over and wash your hands, uh, the offending uh, fists, then uh, we'll be good. You know, that'll take care of your offense. And so they do that. And afterwards, uh, they give each other a big hug and they link arms and they skip out of the courtroom. Everything is fine. Whatever that offense was before, it's all gone by that washing. There's no issue or concern anymore. Well, that would be nice, wouldn't it? But the problem is the internal problem remains. If you wish to be clean before God, you need to realize It's not an external problem outside of us. It's an internal problem. Mark 7, 14. And he called the people to him again, and he said to them, hear me, all of you, and understand there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Now, when Jesus was alone with his disciples, this was with a crowd, and he they come together, the disciples come together, and um, they want to know about the meaning of this very short parable, Mark 17 and 18. And when he entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, then are you also without understanding? And really, part of it is, are you guys so dense that you don't even get the, the basic parable? What's going on here? Um, So he goes on to say, do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? Since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled, thus he declared all foods clean. We're going to deal with that phrase. Uh, He declared all uh, foods clean a little bit later. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. Now, the the English Standard Version that we use in most translations actually are a little bashful about translating this literally. You'll notice it in a footnote. The more uh, literal translation is what goes out into the latrine, what goes out into the toilet. Okay. And so the, uh, the image is this, that, you know, it's not what you eat. You know, you have a nice T-bone steak. You have a, a milkshake. You have a gourmet meal. It smells good. It, it looks good. It tastes good. There's nothing bad about that. That's not unclean. But after digestion, what comes out the other end? Not so much, right? That's what Jesus is saying. That's what makes you unclean. That's the parable. That's the illustration. He's saying it's what comes from within and then goes out that makes you unclean. And so what he's saying in terms of the actual spiritual application is that what emerges from our hearts is what is dirty. What comes out as a result of our dirty hearts is an evidence of a heart problem. Our thoughts, our words, our actions Now, let's talk a little bit about what it means to what the heart means, because in our American culture, oftentimes we think of a heart as just sort of emotional response. Right. But that wasn't the case in the Bible, in either the New Testament or the Old Testament. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength was roughly equivalent or very related to each other. All those terms. It was the seat of our mind, our will, our emotions, William Lane is a biblical scholar, and he says this of the word heart in the Bible. In Semitic, in Hebrew expression, the heart is the center of human personality, which determines a man's entire action and inaction. The book of Proverbs says, for instance, in chapter 23, verse 26, "'My son, give me your heart, and let your eyes observe my ways.'" In other words, give me your wholehearted attention. I've got wisdom that can save your life. And by giving somebody your heart, that will lead to enthusiastically hanging on their words of the one who's going to give you wisdom. And that's what we found out last week, wasn't it? That what we do is we are to have our hearts set on the Lord. If our hearts are close to the Lord, we will have our hearts set on his word. And Jesus said, "The problem with the Pharisees is is what? Mark chapter seven six. This people honors me with their light, with their life, with their words rather, but their heart is far from me. They followed man made tradition, not God's word. So, how's your heart? Some of you have spiritual heart, uh, physical heart conditions. What about your spiritual heart?" Well, what Jesus Christ does in this passage, he takes out the spiritual uh, heart cath MRI machine, echocardiogram, he looks at our blood pressure, he does the blood work, and then the analysis. Okay, doc, give me the bad news. He says what comes out of a person is what defiles him from within our, out of our heart, the Out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these things come from within, and they defile a person. Any of these things ever come out of your heart? If so, you've got a heart condition. You've got a heart problem. Let's talk a little bit about the specifics mentioned here, and Jesus obviously is not being exhaustive here. Uh, And part of the way we know that is in the parallel passage in Matthew, there are some additional things listed. He first mentions evil thoughts that come out of our hearts. They drive our evil actions. Our hearts demonstrate their condition in not just bad action, but sinful thoughts. And then he goes into actual sinful practice, sexual immorality. It's a broad term, meaning any uh, sexual activity outside of the husband-wife relationship. And then he gives a specific adultery of being unfaithful. The husband and wife being unfaithful is adultery. He refers to theft, taking something that doesn't belong to you. He refers to murder, taking innocent life. And then he talks about our internal actions, specifically coveting, wanting what's not ours, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride. And we know even the things that we do externally have a heart component to them. First, we read this in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said to people long ago, do not murder and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks lustfully at a woman has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jeremiah 17, 9 said, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So, again, do some of these things come out of you, in word, thought, deed. If so, they reveal a heart problem, that our hearts are not close to God. And we might try to wash our hands, we might try to do something externally to, to be clean, but it doesn't do anything for the root problem. Shakespeare's play Macbeth, Lady Macbeth, after having a hand In uh, Killing, King Duncan says this, with hands red with the king's blood, she says, a little water clears us of the deed. There's an article written by Penguin Books. Uh, It was uh, kind of commenting on a meme that had arisen during COVID. Uh, During COVID, you know, when everybody was supposed to wash their hands, there were signs that showed step one, step two, step three. And there was a meme that came out with uh, the words from Lady Macbeth, in, uh, in uh, Shakespeare's play, related to each step of washing your hands, right? And so here's, here's what the article says about this particular um, interesting thing that uh, came up in culture. It says, in the context of the play, Macbeth, those instructions are, of course, rather self-defeating. Lady Macbeth, sleepwalking in her chamber, rubs her hands for a quarter of an hour, lamenting, what will these hands ne'er be clean? She can still smell blood. All the perfumes of Arabia will not sweeten this little hand. The article goes on to say, while soap does indeed incapacitate the COVID-19 virus, it cannot help mitigate the psychological aftermath of murder. Lady Macbeth's involvement in the assassination of King Duncan echoes in her conscience, her confidence word to her blood-stained husband. A little water cleans us of this deed, comes back to haunt her. Lady Macbeth, hand-washing is a sign of guilt. It speaks of a contamination that can never be washed away. So what is it that we use, again, to gauge the spiritual conditions of our hearts? We use the Bible, the Word of God. So we found out last week that Jesus directs us To the word of God, not tradition, not to man-made notions of how we please God and what demonstrates a heart for God. We look to what God himself has communicated uh, his heart for us is and what our heart should be for him. Mark 7, 6 and 7, well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain did they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And so we seek to love God and obey him, motivated by his love for us in Christ. And so in effect, the word of God is that MRI machine that exposes the condition of our heart. The Word of God. Now, uh, a word about the Word. There are many Old Testament laws, and some of them seem rather strange to us today. Uh, If you have read the Old Testament, you go, kind of scratch your head, what am I supposed to do with this? And there are many today that, that will bring that up. For instance, Rachel Held Evans wrote a book. A year of biblical womanhood, how, liberated woman, how a liberated woman found herself sitting on her roof, covering her head, and calling her husband master. And so ostensibly, she's just going about the year trying to live literally like all of the Old Testament and New Test- Testament says a woman should live. But in reality, what she's essentially doing is saying, see how ridiculous this is. You should just pick and choose what actually uh, is binding in the Bible. Uh, she said this, for instance, a couple of quotes, despite what some may claim the Bible's not the best place to look for traditional family values. She goes on to say, I kept digging, and as it turns out, Peter and Paul were putting a Christian spin on their readers, what their readers would have immediately recognized as the popular Greco-Roman household cult codes. Eh, it's not the word of God. It's just what was in society So let's talk about those Old Testament laws. Let's talk about what observant Jews might even follow today. And this is where we get back to that that parenthetical statement in verse 19. And verse 19 says that Jesus, by this statement, declared all foods to be clean. So how is this possible? There were Old Testament, what we would call kosher laws, right? So I'd go out and have a Cold pork sandwich, I can eat shellfish, uh, and that isn't a demonstration of some problem with my heart before God. But in the Old Testament, that is what God commanded. So why is it that we uh, no longer uh, have to worry about the food laws of the Old Testament? Well, the first reason is Jesus declares it so. Jesus is authority. Jesus is God, and he can declare it so. And this was taken as something that was very radical by Jesus' own disciples. In fact, we find this account of Peter, the apostle, uh, wrestling with this, and a vision comes to Peter from God. It's recorded in Acts chapter 10, verses 11 through 15. And he saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being led down by its four corners upon the earth. And in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, what God has made clean do not call common. God clearly has said that the food laws in the Old Testament are no longer binding today. We still might ask, why? Was God being completely arbitrary about this? And the answer is no. And so to understand this, we need to talk a little bit about the law and the types of laws in the Old Testament. You had moral laws, you had civic laws, and you had ceremonial laws. You had moral laws like the Ten Commandments said you shouldn't kill and you shouldn't uh, disobey your parents. You should honor them and you uh, shouldn't commit adultery and many other moral laws in the Old Testament. Those moral laws are affirmed in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. We are to continue to keep the moral laws of God as an expression of our love for God Uh, because that is what God has commanded in his word, the way that we express our love for him. The second type of of law in the Old Testament are civil laws. Civil laws were those things that God gave to the nation of Israel to help them uh, conduct their life in the land of Canaan. And while those laws aren't specifically required of us, we can learn the principles behind them and apply them to our own lives and even to our own society. One such law is something like this, Deuteronomy 22.8. When you build a new house, you shall make a parapet for your roof that you may not bring the guilt of blood upon your house if anyone should fall from it. Well, that sounds rather strange. You know, should we put a fence up on the roof of our house? I was actually thinking about that today, and I've, I've heard of more than one person, uh, usually men that are too old. Uh, getting up on their roof, falling from it, and getting injured and even killed, right? So maybe that's not such a bad idea. But back in that day, the roofs were flat and the people used their roofs and they could fall from their roof. And so uh, this was a concern for God to say that we need to be concerned about preserving life, preserving limb. And so today we might have, for instance, I don't know, but I'm guessing in some of our municipalities we have laws about Uh, putting fences around pools so that people won't uh, children won't happen into a pool and be harmed. And so whether that's true, whether the municipalities do it or not, we can learn from it and we can apply that in how we uh, love God and love our neighbors. We have laws, for instance, about not driving uh, 100 miles an hour through city streets. We have laws against drinking and driving. Well, they didn't drive, uh, not cars. Uh, back in that day. And so they didn't have those laws, but we can learn from them and apply those principles. The Westminster Confession of Faith calls that the general equity of the law. We can apply the general equity of the law to today, but the specific law is not required. And then finally, there are ceremonial laws. And there are really two types of ceremonial laws. The first is um, Uh, What we might think of ceremony in the narrow sense, it's markers. It marked out the nation of Israel and the people of God uh, and separated them in a physical way from the people around them. And there are many, many laws that did this. One, for instance, Leviticus 19.27 said, do not cut the hair at the sides of your head or clip the edges of your beard. And that's just one of many, many laws that separated the people ...from the people around them by means of ceremony. Think of it kind of like a uniform. When I was uh, a, a kid, I was riding my bike home from school and took this route every day. And there was this uh, other kid, a girl, saw me riding my bike and she said, hey, do you work at Publix? And, um, and I said no. Uh, she thought that I was a bag boy because of my uh, uniform. And I said, no, I go to a a private school, Westminster Academy. This is our uniform. She went to a public school. She wasn't used to that. It was a marker. It set us apart by means of this uniform. And what uh, God has told us and what Christ has told us in the New Testament is this ceremony has now been set aside and fulfilled. The reality has come uh, through Christ himself and through the act of the spirit consecrating us. Uh, We are no longer profane. We are no longer unclean. We are no longer separated in any ceremonial sense, but the reality has come in Christ. And then we have the sacrificial laws of the Bible that are, again, ceremonial laws. These were various sacrificial laws, including in those were um, in other other, uh, uh, grain sacrifices, grain offerings, uh, various offerings, Uh, but specifically the blood sacrifices that were done in conjunction with the temple and the tabernacle. And these were shadows and signs of the reality that Christ came to bring. Uh, We've been studying Hebrews on Wednesday night. Here's what Hebrews 10.1 says. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year make perfect those who draw near to worship. The sacrifices don't make perfect. They don't cleanse in finality. You come year after year after year. The Israelites would come and would offer those sacrifices, and they never undid it uh, for finality. But then the author of Hebrews says there was one sacrifice, Jesus Christ, the perfect sacrifice, he died for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God, to bring you close to God, to bring you close to God's heart. He came and did that, and the sacrifices have ceased because he came to do what nobody else could do, to live that perfect life, to die in your place, to take your penalty, uh, that through faith in him that you might be cleansed in God's sight, you might be free of guilt in God's sight. And as regarding the other ceremonial laws, the Bible says this in Colossians 2.17, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So these laws are no longer used as an expression of how we draw near to God and follow Christ because they were a pointer to Jesus Christ himself who gave us true heart Cleanse Now, if you're still with me, I go into some detail about this for a couple of reasons. One is so you know how to please God. So you know how to love God. So you know how to to draw near to God as you read your entire Bible. And sometimes uh, we, as we've said all along, you know, how do you follow Jesus? You follow Jesus where he leads you as you seek to understand his word. And as you grow in that understanding, you can follow him uh, in a better way, in a more knowledgeable way. Um, so part of it is just for you as you read the Bible. How do I how do I apply this? But the other reason why I do this is because these Old Testament laws are uh, very very commonly used in our culture to seek to undermine the faith of Christians. So these ridiculous laws in the Old Testament. Why don't you follow those? And if you don't follow those, and why don't you follow these moral? Why do you follow these moral commands uh, that God gives you? Eh, none of this is really applicable anymore. No, this is told to you by people that either don't understand the Bible or they're purposely misleading you. So beware. It is out there. It is very, very common today. So let's get back to looking at our heart disease, shall we? From within, out of the heart of man comes all of these things in contrasting to the word of God. So do you need to be cleansed? Well, we all do. The Bible says we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And the words of Jesus show that our problem is not external. It's something internal. We've got to be cleaned internally. If the well is poisoned, it's going to continue pumping poison. So, the reality is is that we all suffer from this, don't we? So, is our condition hopeless? You know, remember back to the comments about Lady Macbeth. A little water clears us of this deed, come back to haunt her. Lady Macbeth washing her hands is a sign of guilt. And the comment by the article, it speaks of a contamination that can never be washed away. Can't wash away murder, can't wash away theft. Can't wash away adultery. Is that true? What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus, right? Here's what the Bible says about washing away our sin. Hebrews 10, 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus... And then in verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That's that analogy. We've been washed through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and faith in him. We trust in him for the cleansing that only he can do. First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and to do what? And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You need a once and for all cleansing, and it's not going to happen from any ritual. It's going to happen when you come to Jesus Christ. If you would would not be undone, if you would not be hopeless like Lady Macbeth, if you would say, I understand the condition I'm in, then we come humble, contrite, repentant, trusting And we come and trust in what Jesus Christ has done, the righteous one for the unrighteous, you and me. The Bible says that we're clean. We're clean of past sins. We're clean of present sins. We're clean of future sins. And so there's one way in which we're clean in trusting in Jesus. And that is in terms of our record before God, our broken relationship with God. And yet there's another way in which we are clean Before God, Uh, if you place your faith in Jesus Christ, that means that something has happened in your heart that has caused you to recognize your need, to recognize your sin and to reach out to him. some of you remember the group, yes, they had a well-known song, Owner of a Lonely Heart. Uh, Today's sermon could be entitled Owner of a Dirty Heart. Um, Listen to the solution that the Bible gives. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. How's that going to take place? And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey my rules. We're the owner of a stony heart, a stony, unresponsive heart. We either ignore God's law or we rebel against it. We're not soft and responsive to God. And God says, I'm going to do something. I'm going to take the initiative. I'm going to put my spirit within you. And the result is your heart will be changed. It will be soft. It will be responsive. And you will begin to live a beating, heartfelt uh, life for me. And if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ for that cleansing, forgiveness of sins, then that's a sign that he has also given you a new heart to seek after him. And we will follow where Christ leads us. And this tells us that it's not simply about knowing the law, knowing God's word well enough. Something has to happen internally before we begin to do this. Uh, It's not as if the Pharisees got it wrong. And so Jesus said, you know, you got the wrong target. If you get the target right, everything's fine. If you get the whole thing and the Old Testament laws, right, it's fine. You know, no, there's a heart problem that prevents people from following God in love until he changes our hearts and removes our heart of stone. And gives us a heart of flesh. This is demonstrated, for instance, by what took place while I was gone Um, uh, for my leave of absence. Roe v. Wade was overturned by the Supreme Court. And uh, we should be glad for any action or any law that would protect innocent human life, as we found uh, already. That is something that we should rejoice in. And uh, you know, years ago, in the 70s and 80s, uh, people used to say this silly thing that you can't legislate morality. Um, these were, this was said by people who didn't want to live morality, and, and people don't say that anymore today. They don't say that because many people want to legislate immorality, and so they don't bring up that argument anymore. There's one sense in which that's true, and that is you can't make somebody's heart change. Through legislation. You can protect people, and that's good, but you can't make somebody's heart change. In 2020, one in five pregnancies ended in abortion in the United States. Just think about that. One in five pregnancies ended in abortion. It's not just a matter of legislation. We have a heart problem in our country, and you have a heart problem within you. And I have a heart problem within me. Now, we don't have time to go into all the ways in which the Bible talks about our current state after our hearts changed and what it's going to be like when Jesus returns, because we're not quite there yet. We still have the remnants of the sinful nature. We still have the remnants of a heart that's not responsive to him. that's why we still sin and disobey God. But your heart's been changed. And so since it's been changed... And since you've been cleansed, in fact, you desire more and more to live for him. Hebrews says this, the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanses your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So you've been cleansed. And so now you live to serve God. You've been saved. You've been forgiven as a gift. And now you live for him. We see this reality in First John chapter 3. Beloved, we are God's children now. You're now God's children. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. We're not yet there. One day we'll see Jesus come and we'll be transformed into his likeness to sin no more. No longer struggle with sin anymore. Until then, what do we do? Everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. And so though we still have the remnants of this bad heart, we still disobey. We are secure as the children of God, forgiven and clean in his sight. And we seek to love him through expressions of his word, living that out for him. Uh, We had our our grandchildren at our house uh, for a few weeks. And uh, one of the things I did before they came is uh, we've got a pool and I put a rope in the pool separating the deep end from the shallow end. And we had a rule. The rule was you can't go past the rope unless there are two adults in the pool. And um, did they listen? Yes, they did. They listened. Uh, they listened. They, they understood that, uh, that we uh, loved our grandchildren, that we cared about them and they trusted us. And they did that because of the relationship we have with them. Uh, They delighted in the pool. They screamed. They squealed. They had a great time. Uh, Everything was good. Now, there are other things we uh, said that they were not to do. And maybe they didn't obey that quite as much, right? They're not there perfectly yet in in, uh, trusting in our love for them and their well-being. And in the same way, uh, we're not there yet either. But you can be confident that you have a father who loves you, who cares for you, that sacrificed his own son for you, that you would be clean in his sight. You can come before him boldly and at the same time admit there's more work to be done. Uh, I need to to, uh, come to him with a humble and repentant heart uh, where I disobey and ask him to work in those ways that I might more and more live for him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. And so let's continue to worship now uh, by singing of that deep love that the Father has for us. Let's stand and sing.